You're listening to a Sunday service podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, a place where we practice a deep and authentic welcome, where we listen deeply to where love is calling us next, and a place where with humility, courage, and compassion, we act for justice in the world. To learn more, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. It's so good to be together. My name is Jen Crow. I'm one of your ministers here at First Universalist, and it is a joy to be leading worship this morning with Franco and Amy, with Stephanie and Cedar and Lauren and Darren and Arif and Nora, with all of you here and with all of you who are joining us online. We make this time sacred together. We have so much gratitude for everyone who makes today possible, for the beauty provided by the Visual Arts Committee and by Martha in particular for the flower arranging. And we are so glad to be here in this space together. We are sorry that Reverend Karen is not with us today and she will be out for a bit as she is tending to a personal matter that's gonna take her away from church for a time. We know that her presence is with us and ours is with her. And today, especially, as we gather not just for any regular Sunday service, which is pretty special, we are gathering today for an ordination, for Stephanie Voss's ordination. It is a threshold moment today for Stephanie as she enters the Unitarian Universalist Ministry. And every time our congregation ordains someone into the ministry, it is a threshold moment for the congregation as well as we take up our power and authority as a body, as a body that carries all of the history and heritage and future of Unitarian Universalism with us. And we encourage each of us to find our way into ministry, into service in the world. We're grateful to be a part of this moment and we're grateful to be able to celebrate after the service as well. So I believe there are some ice cream sandwiches that will be made available downstairs afterwards so that we can uh, fully enjoy this moment. <laughs> Next weekend, we'll be celebrating Earth Day and Earth Week, really. Come on Saturday if you'd like, 9 a.m. to noon in our parking lot. We'll be having Electric Saturday hosted by the Environmental Justice Team where there'll be a variety of different electric and hybrid cars and bikes and scooters and lawnmowers and snowblowers. So you'll have a chance to check out some of the different electric options and talk to folks who own those things to see if there might be a way that we each might wanna move into that uh, way of being. And now we take a moment to settle in knowing that our bodies and spirits and minds and hearts are all connected all one. We take a moment to fully arrive here, here in our bodies, wherever we are, connecting across space and time. So I invite you into our practice of intentional breath together. This is an opportunity, if it feels comfortable for you, for us to breathe together and on purpose. So I invite you, if you'd like, to take a breath in, and a slow breath out. A breath in. And a breath out. 
One more at your own pace, breathing in, breathing out. From this place of connection with ourselves and each other, I offer these words of land acknowledgement from our environmental justice team. We collectively acknowledge that Minnesota is located on the traditional, ancestral, and contemporary lands of indigenous peoples. As people residing on this land that was cared for and called home by the Anishinaabe, Dakota, Northern Cheyenne peoples, and other native peoples from time immemorial, we offer this land acknowledgement, affirm tribal sovereignty, and hold ourselves and our affiliations accountable to American Indian peoples and nations. We acknowledge and honor the black, Asian, and immigrant peoples who built the wealth and infrastructure of this land, much of it as racialized slaves, the traumatic legacy of which exists today in this country where slavery still flourishes legally as mass incarceration. We commit to building a just and equitable world together with and for people of all colors. In solidarity with all our siblings, we commit to ensuring a planet more secure, harmonious, safe, and life-giving for all our relatives, all people, the four-leggeds, the birds, the fish, the trees, the plants, the insects, the soil and the minerals, the waters, lakes, and streams, the sun and stars and moon. Good morning. My name is Cedar Shimka, and I come to you today from Muningwanakaning Minis in Gitchigam Anishinaabe. And I'm honored to be reading uh, from Braiding Sweetgrass by Dr. Robin Walkimmer. And when I was reading last time, I got nervous. I didn't put the bookmark back, so <laughs> I have a page. <laughs> I sat once in a graduate writing workshop on relationships to the land. The students all demonstrated a deep respect and affection for nature. They said that nature was the place where they experienced the greatest sense of belonging and well-being. They professed without reservation that they loved the earth. And then I asked them, do you think that the earth loves you back? No one was willing to answer that. It was as if I had brought a two-headed porcupine into the classroom. <laughs> Unexpected, prickly, they backed slowly away. Here was a room full of writers, 
passionately wallowing in unrequited love of nature. So I made it hypothetical and asked, what do you suppose would happen if people believed this crazy notion that the earth loved them back? The floodgates opened. They all wanted to talk at once. And we were suddenly off the deep end, heading for world peace and perfect harmony. One student summed it up. You wouldn't harm what gives you love. Knowing that you love the earth changes you, activates you to defend and protect and celebrate. But when you feel that the earth loves you in return, that feeling transforms the relationship from a one-way street into a sacred bond. All flourishing is mutual. Now I invite us to join together in our chalice lighting. Please join me in saying these words if you'd like. Love is the spirit of this church and service is its law. This is our great covenant to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love and to help one another. Our fourth graders used to have a curriculum called Toolbox of Faith. And the tools were symbols for the various skills we need to have in our metaphorical toolbox in order to become sp spiritually mature, spiritually grounded people. So I brought some of those tools from that curriculum. And I'm going to challenge you to a guessing game to see if you can identify what each of these tools might symbolize if you were thinking of them as things that you need in a healthy spiritual life. So let's start, let's start with this one. This is a mirror. And what do you think a mirror symbolizes we might need to do in our spiritual lives? Reflect. Reflect. Indeed. So far, A+. Plus. <laughs> How about this pretty little thing? Does anyone know what this might be? It's a compass. And what might it suggest? Navigation. We need to know where we're going. We need to figure out uh, what values we are trying to align our lives with in a compass a symbol of that process of trying to figure out how to intentionally live our lives. What about this one? What's this? Stethoscope. And what's it, what would it be a symbol for, do you think? This one's, uh, we're Unitarian Universalists, so it can symbolize all those things. <laughs> this one in the curriculum symbolizes the importance of listening in a spiritual life. How about this one here, a, a hammer. Sometimes you gotta break it. Sometimes you gotta break things, <laughs> says Reverend Jen. I'm gonna take that as an excellent answer that wasn't in the book, but a good one. A hammer is a symbol in that curriculum of power and using our power responsibly sometimes to break things. This little magnifying glass symbolizes what maybe? looking closely, asking questions, looking for the finer points. And this last one, I really like the symbol of this. 
These are gloves, right? And they're used uh, to, what do you think they're a symbol of? They would be warmth, I guess, in the winter, but they are, those are work gloves and they're a symbol of protection, taking care of ourselves and handling things tenderly and with care, right? So when someone becomes a minister, they often receive something special. They receive a stole often, and that's a symbol of their role within a congregation. But Stephanie is mostly going to be doing ministry in a different place, not in a congregation, but in an office where she will provide chiropractic care to help heal and honor each body. Unfortunately, it's not unusual for us to neglect the body when we minister to one another. But Stephanie understands that the spirit lives in the body and that ministering to the body is just as important as ministering to the heart and the mind. And so instead of a stole, today we will give Stephanie a bag of real and symbolic gifts to support her ministry to the whole person. And that is this orange bag here on the chancel. This bag is her metaphorical toolbox. Some of her dear ones have brought items to add to the bag. And congregation, you are invited now in the chat or after the service, if you're here in the sanctuary, to write on, on the post-its that are outside in the narthex a word to symbolize something that you would like to add to Stephanie's bag of tools and to put it into the basket that's out there. They will actually be, literally be added to her bag as well. But now I want to invite Stephanie's dear ones to come and explain to us some of the gifts that are going to be added to the bag right now. The first gift is on behalf of one of Stephanie's friends, Stephanie. And it is a letter of reverence and praise. And the gift I brought is a coloring book. It's called, it's part of the Mishomis book, which is a collection of traditional Anishinaabe stories. Um, and I actually picked a coloring book rather than the actual book because um, I want Stephanie to always remember that life should be fun. Yeah. I brought a collection of photographs that was taken by a member of a Dakota UU church, and it has a poem called First Aid for the Soul. First, we have a lovely little basket of herbs. I did not make this, but for another friend, Hannah, made these for Stephanie. And I brought some stones from Lake Superior, each on different rock, kind of imbued with meaning by a variety of people. Um, I think each representing a gift of Stephanie's, one for her perseverance, one her clarity of voice, and then another that really speaks to her ability to create community. And Stephanie, I'm adding to your bag uh, one of my trustworthy guides, uh, a book of meditations by Howard Thurman, Meditations of the Heart, so that you have something to help ground you on your journey. And Stephanie, I am adding to your bag a collection of poems called Spilling the Light from one of our colleagues as a reminder to let your light shine brightly. 
So Stephanie, I suspect this bag is going to become like Mary Poppins carpet bag, you know that one? That she reaches into, it seems to have no bottom, it just contains multitudes, as your ministry does already and will continue to. Sometimes it's overwhelming, unavoidable. That beckoning, that bustle, that energy that is calling us in a new direction. Sometimes it's a glimmer, a moment of seeing or knowing that then slips away only to be found again, perhaps looking out of the corner of our eye, remembering, remembering a glimpse of it in our mind. There is a shimmering, a beckoning, a clear knowing, a remembering of who we are, of who we might be, of our place in this world all at once unique and specific and simultaneously just like everything else a part of everything else this place of beckoning of shimmering of light and dark of remembering of wondering and daring we are reminded of it here the hope, the worry, the challenge, the joy, the exhilaration. We can feel it in our individual lives, in our collective body. And here in this community, wherever we are, we hold it together. And so I invite you to bring into this space speaking aloud, typing into the chat, holding silently in your heart all that you would like to bring to this time of meditation and prayer and shared love. We hold all of it together. We are held by a love that will not let us go. And knowing this, we pray that the grip of addiction might be loosened, that the weight of oppression might be lightened, that truth might be told, that joy will break through, and that love might make every suffering bearable for us all. Amen.
Today it is my honor to share Reverend Karen's words with you in this message. And it is very appropriate that I am sharing her words today because as Stephanie would tell you, the fact that Stephanie's here, that we're all here for Stephanie's ordination is all Karen's fault. <laughs> so, <laughs> that said, here we go. I'll do my best to embody Karen's awesomeness. I don't know about you, but I miss dinner parties. The pandemic took those delightful gatherings away. You know, the six to 10 person dinner party where you walk in and you know it's going to be a great evening. The seating arrangements are created to maximize social engagement. Interesting art and books on the walls, it's there to start some esoteric conversation. The food, it's succulent little bites of fresh, interesting ingredients. And the people, kind and welcoming and smart and funny and engaging. The kind of dinner party where your good times meter is registering in the very high range. And then you respond to a statement made by someone. You disagree. You propose a thought that is outside the range of what is considered acceptable in this crowd. As the conversation continues, your eyes and the room start to dim. The faces become less welcoming, more dismissive. Your appetite begins to shrink. You start to not feel welcome. But you hold on and articulate your thoughts and ideas with integrity and grace. And finally, as things become more heated and the volume increases, the host looks over to you and says, maybe it's time for you to go. So you depart, disappointed, dejected, deflated, diminished. This is not unlike what happened to our ordinant Stephanie. In her first marriage of ordination to the Lutheran Church, the party looked good and the fixins were fine. Then, as she asked unpopular questions, created rituals outside of the norm, took positions that didn't always match up with the leaders, this all eventually led someone to say, in a very Minnesota way, perhaps you might find yourself happier somewhere else. And there it was. And Stephanie was relegated to that wilderness of former pastors. But then she found us. And this comes from Stephanie's blog entry from September 29th, 2018. Karen would like you to know that she read every one of them. <laughs> it was a secret blog, but then you gave us the link. So it's not really a secret anymore. <laughs> And yes, I did ask if this was okay before we started sharing it. So this comes from Stephanie's secret, not so secret anymore blog, um, back in September of 2018. And she said, I'm going to a UU church tomorrow. <laughs> I'm nervous. There are two near me and I chose the one with more women on staff and the one that mentioned racial justice more. I'm so defensive and angry, but also I kind of hope I like it. I don't know what I'll do if I do. 
I also want to love it and work there. And if I do, then I'll be like, oh, so this is why for the last five years, people have been asking me if I've considered the UUs. <laughs> so many people have been asking me lately when I'll go back to the church. If I've thought about starting my own thing, I miss it more than I thought I would, more than I realized I did. It's my calling, people. It is. And I can mix in all the things I want, and sure, it helps, but this is what I'm meant to do, and it kills me a little not to be able to do it. So I'm going to a Unitarian church tomorrow. Wish me luck. This was four years ago. And while Stephanie was a former pastor in the Lutheran church, there remained in her a ministry she is called to serve. In her time here at First Universalist, we came to know that minister. We saw and recognized that minister in the way that she held herself in her posture toward others in small groups. We came to know that minister when you spoke on this chancel. We watched that minister as the fire in your soul came through and warmed us and provoked our thinking. We recognized that minister, even when you sometimes did not. After Stephanie's first time leading worship here at First Universalist, she wrote this. Two weeks ago, I was Pastor Stephanie again for the first time. It was printed in front of my name, and people saw it, and people who I didn't know saw it, and people knew it about me, and people knew it as the first thing about me, and people who knew of me, who knew my family, who had known me, heard me, and saw me. I'm being a little dramatic, but also this coming out as a pastor or former pastor or defrocked pastor, or can one ever really be a former pastor? And who gets to decide anyway? And am I ready to use the present tense or am I still on was a pastor? It was no small thing because I got to do two special things. I got to tell my story, a version of my story, a long story, but only in eight minutes, a story where I have to make choices about blame and anger and inevitability and agency. I got to tell my story, a story of being hurt, of leaving, of rejection and being rejected, of little t trauma. I got to tell my story of discomfort, of distaste for Christianity, of disappointment. I got to tell my story and I got to tell my story to people who could see themselves in it. At least that's what they said afterwards. I got to tell my story to people who listened and laughed and loved me. And I cried while I was writing to prepare it. And I cried while I was practicing it. And I thought I was going to cry that morning when I was telling it. But I didn't cry while I was talking about it, miraculously. I cried afterwards when hundreds of people got on their feet and wouldn't stop clapping for me. Their warmth, their acceptance, their solidarity was palpable, and that made me cry. So today, Stephanie, we say yes to your tears of seeing your name there in print. We say yes to your call to integrate body, mind, and spirit through the ministry as a chiropractic practitioner and spiritual guide. We say yes to you finding your way home to this community, to this church, these people, this faith of Unitarian Universalism. But, 
and I just want to say Karen has this in big, bold, capital letters, but we do not say yes with a victorious grin over the Lutherans. We do not. We say yes to Stephanie, to Stephanie's integrity, to her choices, to her potential. We say yes to all of your identity, and for the rest of your life as a spiritual leader, you, and I say all of us, will be constantly affirming and discerning what it is to say yes to faithful living, to navigating the multiple paths that create and sustain all of our calls to serve. Derrida, the Algerian French post-culturalist, this is how you know this is Karen's sermon, <sighs> I love this so much. <laughs> Probably won't hear post-culturalist uh, philosophers in my sermons, mostly because I'm not as smart as Karen um, in the academic sense. Anyway, Derrida says, to say yes is to turn toward the past since it responds to something that preceded it. On the other hand, to say yes is to turn toward the future since one has to confirm the affirmation by repeating it if only for a moment afterwards, this deconstructionist philosophy. So Stephanie is saying yes to the ministry today. We are saying yes to our ways of service in the world. And in that, we are saying yes, and she is saying yes to radical risk-taking that is implicit whenever we live spiritual lives. Risks that have us wrestling with our doubts, our fears, our challenges, with not knowing how things are going to turn out. And our job as a congregation is to encourage Stephanie and each other to take these risks, to continue taking the risks within the safety and the guardrails and affirmation that Unitarian and Universalist values and ethics provide. We encourage her and ourselves to keep taking the risks. What does it mean to say that we are people who are living out our faith? To be a chiropractor who is a minister, a minister who is a chiropractor, if we are not taking risks, then our imagination and our creativity are limited. What we can do and be can be suffocated. So we invite each other into a radical yes to not being content with playing it safe. After all, we remember that most religious leaders, most faith founders were doubters and thinkers who seemed at first to lose their religion and then by means of private and communal struggle and personal risk, find ways of being religious again in new ways. That new way is always open to us, always grounded in community, in risk-taking, in responsible action. And we know that risks come with fear sometimes. They come with daring, and we are not always perfect when we take them. There is inevitable failure, defeat, excitement, and joy. So we take these risks in community, remembering that, Stephanie, your colleagues are here with you, not just those of us who are ordained clergy, but all of us colleagues and community to each other in this work and joy of transformative risk-taking. 
So it is in that spirit that we offer a blessing from the Reverend Robin Tanner. Blessed are they who fall in the mud, who jump with gusto and rip the pants. Blessed are those who skin the elbows and bruise the ego, for they shall know the sweetness of risk. Blessed are they who make giant mistakes, whose intentions are good, but impact has injured, who know the hot sense of regret and ask for mercy, for their hearts will know the gift of forgiveness. Blessed are they who have seen a D or an F or a C or any letter less than perfect, who are painfully familiar with the red pen and the labels as less than, for know, they know the wisdom in the imperfect. Blessed are they who try again, who dust off, who wash up, who extend the wish for peace, who return to sites of failure, who are dogged in their pursuit, for they will discover the secret to dreams. Blessed are they who refuse to listen to the naysayers, for their hearts will be houses of hope. Blessed are they who see beyond the surface of another, for they will be able to delight in the gift of compassion. Blessed are they who stop running the race to help a fellow traveler, who pick up the fallen, who stop for injured life, for they shall know the kindness of strangers. Blessed are they who wildly, boldly abandon winning, for they shall know the path of justice. May it be so, blessed be. We do this work of transformation, of liberation, of joy in community. We do this by engaging in the practices of giving and receiving and growing. And so today we will be sharing of our financial resources as we do each time that we gather, remembering if we have resources to share, we offer them to each other. If we are in a time of needing to give, we allow ourselves to receive. Today's offering is going to a special fund. It's the Living Tradition Fund of the Unitarian Universalist Association, and this fund exists in particular to support religious professionals. It does this in three ways, by offering need-based scholarships for theological students, by offering assistance to new ministers to help reduce the burden of educational debt and repayment, and by offering emergency grants to seminarians and ministers and religious professionals, to congregational staff, to retired ministers and their loved ones. It's traditional for offerings to be given to the Living Tradition Fund at ordinations and installations. And I have to tell you, as a religious professional who has received each of these three kinds of aid from the Living Tradition Fund, emergency grant when we had our house fire, assistance with my tremendously high student loan debt, help through the form of scholarship when I was receiving my education. This is not just a financial gift that you offer, but a gift of connection and a feeling that there are others out there you don't even know who have your back. So I invite you to give as generously as you're able.
Good morning. In the Unitarian Universalist tradition, the authority to ordain ministers rests fully with the individual congregation. We confer a sacred charge upon our ministers, entrusting them with the lifelong task of ministering to the world and to all beings, both human and non-human, another way, or sorry, and within and beyond our congregations. Today, we have the honor of adding another minister to the lineage of clergy that reaches far back in time and far forward into the future. The act of ordination bestows the authority of religious leadership, the title of reverend, and the charge to be a minister to and in community. Today, the members of the First Universalist Church of Minneapolis gather to ordain Stephanie Voss to the Unitarian Universalist Ministry. Stephanie, having seen and witnessed you freely share your gifts as a lay leader in this congregation, recognizing your call to serve, and having received the recommendation of the Ministerial Fellowship Committee of the Unitarian Universalist Association by the authority of this congregation, we wish to offer you ordination. Are you prepared to receive the mantle and blessing of the ministry? <laughs> yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> Will the members of First Universalist Church please rise in body or in spirit as you are moved, and even those at home that we cannot see, and the ancestors who are here with us that we cannot see, to say the words of the ordination they're projected on these walls. Those of you at home, you're invited to speak these lines aloud at home. They've been pa pasted into the chat. Okay. By authority granted in our living tradition, we the members of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis joyfully ordain you, Stephanie Voss, into the Unitarian Universalist Ministry. We charge you to bring your whole self to your ministry, heart, body, mind, and spirit, to speak the truth with love, to be fully present to joys and sorrows, to live with integrity, and to work to build justice and beloved community for the earth and all her peoples. We pledge to support you in the ways that we can throughout your ministry. May you continue to learn, grow, change, and live into this call for the rest of our days. With gratitude and joy, I humbly accept the ministry to which you ordain me. Guided by the spirit that moves within us and among us and beyond us, Mindful of the power and the privilege, the responsibilities of ordination, I pledge to minister to the earth and all beings that she nurtures. That we might turn our communities and relationships of reciprocity toward the world we could become. I dedicate my ministry to this work and I know that none of us does this alone. I ask for your care, for your love and your support today and in the many days that lie ahead of us.
Will those assembled here and online please continue to be raised in spirit and body as we read the last parts. Stephanie, with glad hearts, we celebrate you and affirm your ordination. We will continue to be sources of love and support to you and offer your blessings on their path. May your ministry, may your ministry <laughs> nourish you and may it inspire love and justice and healing for you and for the world. It is my honor to introduce Reverend Stephanie Voss. <laughs> It appears that this congregation rising to its feet and cheering for you is a habit that we are developing. <laughs> Stephanie, when I first met you, you were very angry at the church, <laughs> for good reason, as we all now understand. You were also more than a little skeptical about the utility of organized religious institution, the institution part in particular. So it really means a lot that we're here today. It means a lot that you are choosing to say yes to your ministry. It means a lot that you are throwing in your lot amongst the cast of characters that make up the UU ministry. We really are a cast of characters. You're in very good company. <laughs> Stephanie, as we have heard, the ministry that you are called to is not traditional. As we saw with the ritual of your bag, that looks fabulous, by the way. I'm kind of jealous. <laughs> Get more use than a stole. Ooh. Oh, for me. That's why we're here. <laughs> so as we saw with the ritual of your bag, the tools of your ministry will differ from the tools that Reverend Jen or Reverend Karen or myself use. For example, we don't use a device called an activator <laughs> and hardly ever have cause to examine x-rays, at least other than our own. You will, you will do both of those things and more, seeking liberation through the body and through freer and less restricted bodies, a freer world. So your work as a chiropractor is a ministry not just to the patients who you treat, but also to the broader community. You know that every time one of us is a bit more free, we all get a bit more free. That every time one of us engages our healing, it helps to heal us all. So you will be a chiropractor and a pastor, a chiropastor, if you will. <laughs> Can you put that on your business cards? Just, you know, give me a little footnote. 
I worked really hard on that, y'all. I gotta say that again. You will be a Cairo pastor. So here's my charge, Stephanie. My charge to you is to seek larger pulpits to preach from. And here's what I mean by that. You and I talked recently about the ministry of Jesus. You talked about how his ministry was an example to you and that everywhere you look, he was preaching and teaching and healing, that all three of those things make up a ministry. In your ministry as a chiropractor, opportunities to teach and to heal will surround you. You will not have a hard time finding them. Preaching, on the other hand, might be a little harder to come by. And so this is why I charge you to keep preaching. We need your voice. I need your voice. We need you to share what you are learning. We need you to share what is bubbling up and emerging in this ministry that you are creating. We need to heal, hear about the work that you are doing, learning what's possible when we bring together the healing of our bodies and the healing of the world. And so I invite you to do that, to preach that word from the biggest pulpit that you can make. And I use the word make intentionally. It is quite likely that your pulpit does not exist yet, that you will need to create it. So make that pulpit exist. We need your voice. Keep preaching. And this will likely be challenging at times. As you and I both know, few things that are worth doing are not without challenge. And Stephanie, when things get hard, what I want you to know is that we've got you. As your colleagues and now siblings in the UU ministry and in fellowship, our commitment is that if you need us, we will show up for you, period. As you know, this ritual of the hand of fellowship roots itself in the symbolism of the handshake, the extended hand showing that I am unarmed. I don't know about you, but it's been a long time since I've gone out with a sword strapped around my waist ready to do battle. It's not a tool of ministry. So I don't want to offer you a hand of fellowship. I want to offer you hands of fellowship. And I want to offer them in a particular way. A mudra that is familiar to you from some of the practices that I know help to ground and center you. It carries with it all of the things that it does when my people make this gesture and when we bow. And so in this, in this bow, in these hands of fellowship, what I am saying, what we are saying, is that we bow to the healer within you as we welcome your healing amongst us. We bow to the teacher within you. We recognize the teacher within you and welcome that teaching amongst us. And we bow to the preacher within you. 
and welcome with open hands and hands of fellowship all of your ministry amongst us. Be blessed, Stephanie. So congregation, an ordination is of course about the individual being ordained and their call to the ministry, but it is also about the congregation. It is about knowing and naming the collective power that exists in this body. And in this particular body, First Universalist Church, what I wanna reflect back to us is what I and we have seen over the years here. The history and the stories of this place, they tell us so clearly, this congregation is a place of healing. It is a place that welcomes those among us who may be hurting, who may be suffering, who may be wrestling, who may be doubting the place of spirituality and faith. That this is a place to come and wrestle, to be loved exactly as we are, to know ourselves whole and healing, welcome and wanted and worthy exactly as we are, and in all the ways we are still becoming. This congregation is a place of healing, a place of growth, a place where we can know and name again who we are and what we are about in this world, individually and collectively. So that is my charge to us as a congregation, to remember who we are, a place of healing, a place of hope, a place of collective liberation and transformation celebrating this legacy, this particular moment, and all the moments past and present and still to come. We recognize this day, and we sing together with joy now. Wake now my senses.
You may stay standing or seated for the blessing. Whatever you want to do with your body, it's up to you. I'm going to shake because I'm a little nervous and excited. <laughs> I was supposed to keep my mouth shut until now, and characteristically, I did not do that. But it is my joy to give a blessing as we go out. It is a joy to be gathered here, to come from what I hope are communities of belonging to you. And if you don't have them out in the world, you have one here where you don't have to keep your voice shut and where people will see their stories in yours. I promise. It is a joy to be reminded that we are here to celebrate one another, that there is a place where you are seen and known and celebrated just as you are, even if other people have said that might not be what they were looking for. It is a joy to be nourished together, and it is also a joy to be sent back out into the world. We know that gifts are multiplied in relationship, and I know that the world desperately needs your gifts. Your communities need you, the world needs you. We are called to heal the world at hand. And so we engage in this rhythm of coming and going, arriving and departing, knowing that both are how we are meant to be blessed and be a blessing to the world. And so it has been a joy to be with you this morning to celebrate together. It is a joy to be sent out. Thank you for being here and thank you for going out into the world. Amen. And there's ice cream downstairs, so come have some. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting our ministry. Text First Univ, that's F-I-R-S-T-U-N-I-V, to 73256 to make your gift. If you are able to join us in person for Sunday worship, we'd love to see you in church. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.